Good morning, church. Uh, what, a, what a joy, what an honor to be with you guys uh, this Sunday. I hope everyone had a, a great Christmas, a great uh, New Year's. I hope you guys all survived the Arctic blizzard, whatever you call it, last week, and no one had any bursting pipes in their, in their homes. And what you'll see this morning, there's going to be a theme about water and, and bursting forth from, from pipes um, this morning. But uh, this morning, uh, I'd like to, to share a story with you guys. When I, was, when I was in seventh grade, I set a pretty lofty goal for myself. And that goal was that when I turn 18, I'm going to leave my house. I'm going to fo- follow in my father's footsteps. And I'm going to attend Duke University. I loved everything about Duke. I loved the, the class. I loved the, the honor, the prestige that kind of came along with that school And it was my dream. I wanted every single part of me to go to Duke University. In seventh grade, my dreams were were kind of squashed when I received my first B on my report card. So I set a more realistic goal, a more realistic expectation for myself. I said, I don't want Duke. I don't need that, you know, that hoity-toity lifestyle. I'm going to be a Georgia Bulldog. So that's, I set a more realistic goal for myself. So from seventh grade on, I, I, you know, I studied hard, I worked hard, and I was like, you know, it is my dream now to be a Georgia Bulldog. And senior year kind of rolls around, and I'm, I'm nervous. Um, you know, I, I'm what I call myself a fringe Georgia applicant, and I start doing what a lot of us probably do our senior years. I start applying to, like, every club possible to try and make myself seem better. So beta club, I don't even know if that is, but I'm going to be a part of it. Yearbook club, Spanish club, German club, French club. Like if there is a language in front of it, I'm probably a part of that club. Now my friend group in high school, they were, they were all really smart. And we start getting our acceptance letters in. And my friends, they got University of Georgia accepted, Georgia Tech accepted, Naval Academy accepted, Stanford accepted. So I get my letter from the University of Georgia, and I am so nervous because everything that I have worked for for so long is in this letter. And I open it, and it says, you know, Dear Patrick, we are sorry to inform you that you are not a part of Georgia. And it broke my heart. What I thought that letter really said is, Patrick, you are not good enough to belong to this school. And I felt so broken. I felt so shamed. I felt like I had let myself down. I felt like I had let my family down. I was so broken because I wanted that stamp of approval from then on that whenever I talked to someone, it would say that he graduated from the University of Georgia. As I look back on it now, I'm convinced that it's, it's two parts that I never knew were so connected in my life. The first one is that I didn't have any sort of identity, and that lack of identity meant that I didn't really know what I belonged to. I want you to think about that as a society. Don't we do that so much with our identity? Who we are is based off of our status. Who we are is based off of our jobs, how much money we make, how many people attend our church service, how good our worship is in here, how many kids are coming to youth group. We put so much of our identity in these things. And as I looked deeper into, into that, for myself, that identity of 
wanting to go to Duke, that identity of wanting to go to Georgia, for me, it was wrapped in something even a little deeper than that. And it was that I just wanted to belong to something bigger than myself. I wanted to belong with my friends that were getting into all these prestigious schools. I wanted to belong to that UGA culture. You guys all watch the game. Like, Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? That big SEC school, that big lifestyle, the, the football team. I wanted to be a part of that. And people, every single person has a desire to belong to something. And my lack of identity and anything secure in this world, that's what school I went to, how many kids come to youth group, what my job is, it made me feel like I didn't belong anywhere in this world. See, every single person in this room has an identity crisis. Every single person in this room has put their identity in something of this world, and it has let you down wanting more and more from life every single time. And what we anchor our identity to is what we will ultimately belong to. If at your core, what you think the most important thing about you is your job, is what, how much money you make, is what school that you went to, what it's gonna leave you is this feeling of wanting more and wanting to belong to something bigger. So that's our uh, big idea today, is that to fully belong, we must know who we belong to. To fully belong, we must know who we belong to. So the bulk of today's passage is going to be found in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Many of you may know this story as uh, the woman at the well. And our first point is this is that a fractured identity leads to rejection and isolation. A fractured identity leads to rejection and isolation. So I'm going to pick up here in John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Sixth. Erica makes fun of me because I can't say the word sixth. Sixth. So let me set up some context for us as we... Uh, Try and figure out what's going on here. So it says Jesus, he's leaving Judea. He has to go to Galilee. If you're looking at a map, Judea is down here, kind of in the southern part. Galilee is up here. And right smack dab in between these two places, we see Samaria. Now, Jews and Samaritans, they did not like each other. So what typically happened, instead of going through Samaria, Jews would go around Samaria, having to cross the Jordan River twice. There was deep hatred. There's deep animosity between these two groups of people. And uh, the reason for that, we'll get, uh, we'll get there later on um, in the scriptures, but in Luke chapter nine, this is how deep that, that kind of hatred ran between these two. 
It says a Samaritan village rejected Jesus. And James and John respond by saying, hey, Jesus, do you want fire to come down from heaven to consume them? Do you want fire to come down from heaven to, to, to kill the Samaritans? That's how deep this hatred ran between these groups of people. They did not like each other. And Jesus, he's a smart man. He knows that there's, you know, there's hatred, there's animosity. He doesn't go around Samaria like the rest of the Jews. But what he says is, no, we're going straight through. So him and his disciples are leaving Judea, Judea and stop in a city called Sychar. And Jesus says, I'm tired, I'm hungry. You guys go ahead, go get some food. I'm going to rest here by this well. And this is where we pick up as Jesus asks this woman for a drink. So I'm gonna jump around in a few passages here. And, and as I read these verses, I uh, want you to think about the, the woman at the well. I want you to think about what she was thinking. I want you to think about her identity. What was the identity that she had placed on herself? What is the identity that society had placed on her? So the first one we see is in verses seven through nine. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So right off the bat, she can see that there is this division in culture. There's a division in race. There's even a division in gender. She says, hey, how, how can you, a Jewish man, even speak to me, this unnamed Samaritan woman? Like, we can't do that. What are you doing? You're gonna get yourself in trouble. You're gonna get, my, my, you're gonna get me in trouble. And she says, even, even if I got you water from this well, if I touch it, you're gonna think it's dirty. You're gonna think it's defiled because you see me as that unclean. So in her mind, she's thinking, what is this man doing? Why is he speaking to me? The second one that we see is that she knows she is lacking something. She knows that she wants something deep inside of her to really satisfy her. Verses 13 through 15. It says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. She doesn't know what it is, but she knows there's something in her, deep in her, that she needs satisfied. There, there's something in her soul that says, sir, I don't know who you are. I don't know what this water is, but please, can I have it? I don't want to come to this well anymore to, ha to have to get water, to have to draw water. Will you give it to me? And third, she is shameful of her past, and she is shameful of her present. Verses 16 
through 18. So Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus calls her, says, hey, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right, you have five. The one you're, you're with now is not your husband. And, and kind of think about what she, what she said. She's, Jesus says, get your husband. No mention to Jesus about husband one, about husband two, about husband three, four, or five. She's not, being, she's not lying, but she's not being truthful either. There's no mention of her current situation of what's happening. I think what's happening is that she's, she's shamed. She's embarrassed. She has guilt in her life for what she's done in her past. And when I first became a believer, the, the first verse I ever studied with uh, someone from Campus Outreach was Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. And I, I think it just fits this story uh, so well. And it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, all of us in here, we have created these, these cisterns in our lives that are broken. These things that we think will satisfy our souls. But what Jeremiah is saying is that anything and everything outside of God that we try and find life in will fail. These broken cisterns that we try and find life in cannot hold life. You see, I see myself in so many ways at the woman at the well. I see myself trying to find life outside of Jesus in so many things, in so many areas. And I know the theology, right? I know what's true, but sometimes that dry water that the earth, that the world has to offer, sometimes it sounds a lot more satisfying than what Jesus has to offer. You know, when I was, when I was in seventh grade, I had my first ever football practice. And uh, the, the Rules were pretty simple. The instructions, they said, hey, just bring your helmet, bring your pads, you'll meet your coach, you'll meet your teammates, uh, and bring a gallon jug of water um, because it's hot, it's August, you know, it's gonna be 100 degrees, make sure you're hydrated. My mom, she's, you know, Korean mom, doesn't really know much about football. She's more worried about my, my health and my safety. So it's kind of up to me to make sure I have everything to go to my first football practice. So in seventh grade, I'm realizing seventh grade was a very like, important year in my life. So, so seventh grade, I bring my pads, I bring my helmet, and it says, bring water. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, if it's liquid, it will hydrate you. So I'm like, this probably means I can bring anything I want into this gallon jug. It does not have to be water. So in my seventh grade mind, the thing that makes the most sense is not water, but let's fill this huge thing up with apple juice. So I fill this whole jug up with apple juice. It's August in Georgia. It's probably 100 degrees outside. It's just sitting out in the sun. It's probably like, like hot apple cider at this point. 
And I remember we got to our first water break, and my friends still make fun of me to this day. But, man, I get that, that jug, and I'm drinking it. And it is so good. Like, I love it. It satisfies every desire that I had in that moment. But the key word is that it satisfied me in that moment. I think you guys know how the story ends, but it, it, was, it was brutal. Um, I know it, it's funny. It's a funny story, but, you know, I, I think it's a perfect picture of how things in this world will satisfy us for a moment. Things of this world will give us that satisfaction just for a little bit. But when reality comes, it's going to leave us sick, and it's going to leave us wanting more. So let's, let's think about the woman at the well right now. Like, I wonder, what is she thinking right now as all this is, is playing out? So let's take a look at this, uh, this chart from uh, Andy Crouch that he calls what it means to, to truly belong. So the, the first one is rejection, and that means that you are, you are known, but you are not loved. And I think this is where the woman at the well probably lived. See, people knew who she was. People knew her story. People knew her past. She was known by the Samaritans, but she was not loved by them. That is why she is going to the well at noon when it is hot, drawing water by herself. It's the same reason why we don't, we don't cut the grass in Georgia at noon in August because it's hot. It is a early morning activity for people to go to a well and draw water. But what we see in the scriptures is she is alone. She is isolated. She is rejected drawing water by herself. She has been rejected by her people for what she's done. She's rejected by the Jews because of who she is. She's an outcast in her society. The second one is being ignored and rejected. That means that you are neither known or loved. And this is, you have your life and you don't want anyone else to enter into it. You're gonna have your secrets, you're gonna do your own thing, and no one can be a part of that. No one can know who you are, and therefore no one can actually love you because no one knows the real you. The third one is fitting in, and that's being not known but loved. And for me, I think this is where maybe a lot of us live. I know this is where I live, but you know, we're loved by people, but we're not loved for who we really are. Maybe you guys know what I'm talking about, but if you're hanging out with a certain group of people, you have to kind of change who you are. You, maybe you change the way you act. Maybe you change the way you speak, and they are loving a false version of who you are. It's one of those things that I know I'm loved, but if they knew I really thought this, I wonder if they would still love me. If they knew I still did this, I wonder if they would still love me. They are loving a false version of who you are. Now, belonging means that you are fully known and fully loved. 
And we're going to get to that one in a minute. But before we do, I want to ask you these questions. Which of these boxes do you see yourself with Jesus? Do you feel like Jesus knows everything about you, yet he wants nothing to do with you? Do you feel rejected by Jesus? Do you feel like you're at a distance and Jesus is at a distance? He, you're ignored by Jesus and rejected by Jesus. You don't want him to enter into your life at all and you are perfectly okay with that. You are not known and not loved and that is okay with you. The third one, do you feel like you are just fitting in with Jesus? Do you feel like you're just part of that church culture where you, you know, you come to church on Sundays, you sing songs, and then you go back to work, and then you repeat it? You know, nothing is really changing in your life. If Jesus actually knew these things about you, you think he wouldn't really love you. You're just fitting in with Jesus. Think about those questions this morning. Now, there's a famous quote by A.W. Tozer, and he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I want to flip that question on you this morning. What comes into your mind when you think about how God sees you? Do you feel rejected? Do you feel ignored? Do you feel like you are just fitting in? See, for the woman at the well, you know, she had a, a theology about God. But by society, she was rejected. She was an outcast. She felt the weight of her sin. She knows what she's done in the past. She's probably thinking, how could anyone want anything to do with me? She had a fractured identity that left her alone and isolated. And then one day on the way to draw water with five broken cisterns of broken relationships, with five broken cisterns of seeking approval from men, from seeking life and things that cannot bring life, that had left her bone dry, she has an encounter with Jesus. So what does her life look like when she realizes that this is actually Jesus? And it takes her a while to actually get there. But that's our second point this, this morning is that full security and full belonging come from the finished work of Jesus. Full security and full belonging come from the finished work of Jesus. So I'm going to reread verses 15 through 18 again. And then we'll kind of dig into what's, what's happening. So the woman said to her, said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you, are, you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So what do we see? She's saying, sir, give me this water. I'm thirsty. I don't want to come here anymore. 
And she still thinks he's talking about a, a physical thirst, a, a physical thing. But we know Jesus is talking about something much deeper. And notice what Jesus says in verse 16. Jesus doesn't say, okay, here's, here's the water. Here's the living water that you asked her. No. Jesus says, hey, go call your husband and bring him here. Jesus is addressing the very thing that she has been trying to find life in. He says, you want this water? Okay, bring that broken cistern to me. You have had five of these broken cisterns. You're looking for life in a sixth broken cistern. In order for us to have this living water that Jesus is talking about, we need to address those broken cisterns in our life. For her, it was the approval of men. See, following Jesus means we have to give something up, right? It means that we have to leave this lifestyle of sin behind. And will we be perfect at it? Of course not. It's gonna be hard, but we cannot serve two masters. It means we have to leave that identity that we have been seeking for life behind us. Then the next seven verses that Jesus has for us, it's kind of kind of weird. But what we see is that Jesus kind of surpasses the, this cultural understanding for her and is ushering in this new kingdom for all of us. This is verses 19 through 26. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on, the, on this mountain nor in Jer Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus has told her to, to go get your husband. Bring her, bring him back here, bring him to me. Things are probably awkward. Like, put yourself in this situation if, you know, you're just hanging out and some guy was like, hey, I know everything about you. Bring your biggest secret, your biggest sin here. You'd be like, what is going on? And the woman at the well, she's, she's funny. And she does what most of us will do. She completely changes the subject, right? Jesus says, bring your husband here. She says, oh, you must be a prophet. And then... She, she starts talking about these, these uh, cultural things that differ between the Jews and Samaritans. And, you know, it goes from, you know, bring your husband here to, hey, why do we worship on this mountain and why do you guys worship on this mountain? You know, completely deflects the subject of her sin and goes to something else. I can relate to doing that. Well, what, what Jesus does is he, he kind of answers 
that question for her. The, and what he's talking about is a uh, little church history background is that in 721 BC, the, uh, the northern kingdom fell to, to Assyria. And there is this, this big divide between the Jews and the Israelites in, in Samaria. And the, the Israelites that stayed, they ended up marrying uh, the, the Assyrians. And that did not sit well with the Jews. And they saw these people as kind of these political rebels, these half-breeds. And this is why they think they are so unclean. And one of the bigger things that differ in what they believe is that the Samaritans believe that you're supposed to worship God on Mount Gerizim. And the Jews believe that you're supposed to worship God on Mount Zion. So she's asking him all these theological questions And Jesus, he answers her, but not in the way that she thinks. He says, listen, it doesn't matter anymore because something greater is coming. The hour has come for something bigger. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Samaritan. It doesn't matter if you worship on this mountain or if you worship on this mountain. The hour has come for something much bigger. And then in verse 25, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. And and pick up what she says here. She says, I know that when he comes, he will tell us everything. So I I feel like this is when the Holy Spirit is really penetrating in her heart because Jesus knows that she is a Samaritan woman. Jesus knows that she is an outcast of society. Jesus knew that she was going to be there. Jesus knows about her five ex-husband. Jesus knows about the man that she's with now. She asks him deep theological question. Jesus answers all of that. I know that when he comes, he will tell us everything. And then in verse 26, in this big climactic way, he says to her, I am he, the one that you've been speaking of, that Messiah, the Christ that you've been talking about, that's me. The word has become flesh. I am here, the hour for something bigger It's time, he says, it is me. The person that has come to rescue sinners like the woman at the well, like you, like me, he says, I am here. Look back at this, uh, the chart from Andy Crouch, what it means to, to really belong in this world. It means that you are fully known and also fully loved. Fully known and fully loved. When I think about that, that someone knows every single thing about me, everything I've said, everything that I have done in this world, that terrifies me. That sounds absolutely horrible. That's why I think all of us live in one of these three boxes that is not belonging because it sounds scary for someone to know everything about us. And the truth is, is that Jesus is the only one who will fully know us and fully love us. 
Matt Chandler says it well when he speaks about being fully known. He says, being 99% known by someone means that you are still unknown. In our depth, in our core, every single one of us in here has something that they don't want the rest of the world to know. Every single one of us has that one thing in our hearts, that 1% thing that I don't want anyone to know. You would not love me anymore if you found this out about me. I'm gonna take this thing to my grave. You would never look at me the same if you knew this about me. No one in this room can ever know what I look at on the internet. No one in this room could ever see what my Instagram reels are. No one in this room can know that my marriage is falling apart. No one in this room can know that I'm dependent on drugs or alcohol. No one in this room can know that I care so much about what I look like. I can't let anyone into that darkness in my life. But Jesus says, I'll take it. Jesus says, you want living water bursting and welling up in your soul? You want fullness of joy? You want pleasures that are forever more? He says, bring me those broken cisterns and I will give you water that wells up in your soul. And look at the woman's reaction in verse 29. This is what it means to be fully known and fully loved. She says, come see a man who has told me all that I ever did. What a crazy thing to say with joy. As she's running back to her city, she says, come see a man that has told me all that I have ever done in my life. I wanna contrast that to what we see in Genesis chapter three with Adam and Eve. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. And because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam and Eve, when they're caught in their sin, they run and they hide. But because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, because we can be fully known, because we can be fully loved, we no longer have to hide. We no longer have to run. We are naked before God. We can't bring anything good before him. And he still says, I love you. I will die for you. So what does that even mean for us? To be fully known, to be fully loved. It means that we belong to the family of God. It means that we are adopted sons of, and daughters of God and we get to live with him in his kingdom. Dwayne said it earlier, but 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. 
I want to read that again, but I want you to put your name in front of that. It says, but you, Patrick, but you, David, but you, Maya, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You belong to God. You belong to Jesus himself so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of that life and into marvelous light. See, Jesus has called us out of the broken cisterns of this world. And what does the woman do? She leaves that conversation with Jesus, running back to her city, proclaiming the excellencies of who Jesus is. Church, you do not belong to your life of sin and shame anymore. Your life is fully engrafted with that of Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you believe that for yourself? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you believe that for your life? Church, if you feel rejected, if you feel ignored, isolated, if you feel like you are just fitting in, and you can feel that water leaking out of your soul, knowing it's going to leave you dry again, what does it look like to go to Jesus with that? And maybe you're scared. You're scared of being exposed because if people found out that 1% thing that you're hiding, it would ruin your life, right? That's, what, that's the lie that the devil wants us to believe. But that 1% thing that we are trying to hide, that will probably ruin our lives for us anyway. See, Jesus has come to let us live in the light so we can belong to his family. I'll close with this. If you guys watch the, the TV series, The Chosen, um, they, they depict this story so perfectly and so, so beautifully. And there's this scene where Jesus is, is talking with the woman and, and tears are welling up in her eyes. She says to, to Jesus, aren't I unclean to you? She says, you will be defiled by me. She says, you picked the wrong person. And Jesus says, I came to Samaria just to meet you. She says, I'm, I'm rejected. I'm rejected by Samaritans. I'm rejected by Jews. I'm rejected by others. And in this beautiful moment, Jesus says, I know. I know you are, but you are not rejected by the Messiah. Church, in the middle of our mess, the middle of our brokenness, when we've been outcast by society, when we've been rejected and ignored, we feel like no one can understand what we're going through. Jesus, who is tired from his journey, Jesus, who is, who is hot, Jesus, who is hungry, meets us when we are most marginalized in society. Her identity is restored. She's no longer identifying with what she was, with who she is, 
because now her identity comes from who she is in, in Jesus. She no longer belongs to the Samaritan way. She no longer belongs to the Jewish way. She belongs to the family of God. Church, what does it look like for you to no longer live with that identity of your past, to no longer live with that shame in your life, but to let the living waters that Jesus offers burst into your soul? Let's pray. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.